0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the text for this morning comes from the gospel reading and the first reading from the book of Acts. morning is a fantastic celebration because this morning we get to witness and participate in bringing new members into the communion of this altar, confessing the same truths and faith. That's exciting. And that is a part of every confirmation, whether it's youth or adults, to see that Christian, whether young or old, make the public confession to you, his or her fellow members, of the communion of saints, the one holy Christian church, to say that, yes, amen, I agree with what you are saying. That's exciting. But Pastor and I both would be remiss in our teaching of your children and of our adults if we didn't also add the rest of the story of being a confessor of Christ, the Messiah. Your experience as a baptized child of God is just as a new man's experience as a baptized child of God, too. You have this teaching that's been proclaimed to you about your salvation, forgiveness of sins being given unto you and offered to you freely and fully for you to strengthen your faith and to cling to at every moment. And it is, is as if life is joyful But then there are those post-confirmation stress disorder that occurs to all confirmands, whether youth or adult. That all of a sudden, this faith that has gotten you so excited and proclaimed to you, then you meet your first major difficulty in your life. And your faith goes, wait a second, yeah, how do we deal with this? This is big. That's the rest of the story. You see, Peter confessed Christ plainly and succinctly. You heard that it was read. Jesus asked his disciples, Okay, out there on the street, what are you hearing about me? What are you hearing about me? Who do people say that I am? So they proclaimed to him back. Well, some say that you're this, and some say that you're that, and some say this. That's grand. It is as if Jesus was saying, who cares what everybody else says? I want to know what you, my chosen apostles and believers, what do you say about me? Who am I? Peter, in his bold and brazen confession, says, you're the Messiah. Now, that's where English and this Greek word kind of pull us away from the Hebrewness of the term anointed one or the Messiah. We translate from the Greek, Christos. The Greek translates from the Hebrew, anointed one or Messiah. So we tend to think of Christ as almost Jesus' last name, unfortunately, and it's not. It's a title, a very important title as to who he is. He's the Messiah, the one about whom it has been written throughout the entire Old Testament, beginning with Genesis 3, 15, when our Lord proclaimed to Adam and Eve, the offspring of the woman shall crush the head of Satan. I'm going to fix the problem. And I'm going to fix the problem of your sin with my anointed one, the offspring of a woman, who will do to your enemy and your sin what I proclaim crushing it, killing it, putting it to death, and renting it asunder. So when Peter says, Well, you're the Messiah. Jesus said, you're right, you got that right. Now that you have confessed that I am the Messiah, let me tell you more about what it means that I am your Messiah, your anointed one, to fulfill your salvation. So he began to teach them, as he said. That does not mean that Jesus said, okay, here's point A, here's point B, here's point C, that's it. He taught them about these concepts, the text says. He taught them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He didn't just say, I'm going to suffer many things. He told them and taught them from Scripture. He had to suffer many things. He then said he would be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. That's a huge statement. He's saying all of the religious people whom you look up to, whom you value their opinion about God, they're going to reject me. He didn't just say that sentence. He explained to them from the scriptures how their point of view about him and how scripture's point of view about him were at odds. One with the other. Hence they would reject him. He said he would be killed. Why would there need to be a death? Probably taking them from Genesis 3.15 and throughout other Old Testament passages did he remind them that there had to be a sacrifice for the sins of the people and your sins as well. But the good news, the third day he shall rise again and again, quoting Old Testament passages about the three days, especially a certain prophet named Jonah who was in the belly of the whale for three days, the big fish, excuse me, the belly of the big fish for three days and came out of it, his own little resurrection illustration For Christ. So he taught them these things. Check out Isaiah chapter 53 in your free time at home. It is so full of conversation about these very things. Death, rejection, spurning, mocking, all those insults and injuries in order to proclaim freedom to the captives. Liberty to those who are enslaved, bind up the brokenhearted, and all that goes along with Christ's rejection, death, and resurrection. Everybody's going, yeah, that's right, I've heard those things before. So having said that, Peter then says, well, wait a second, time out, that's not supposed to happen, you're the Messiah. Yes, but what it means to the world... And more importantly, Peter, what it means to you and these 11 other apostles is that confessing me as the Messiah means more than just confessing me as the Messiah. That's the beginning of faith. But your faith is going to run headlong into the incongruities in this world and the things that do challenge your or my faith and will then lead you to say, is what I am believing true? That's. Post confirmation stress syndrome. <laughs> that is that time when you begin to realize is really what I'm thinking and believing to be true, true. I've had several adult confirmands come to me after confirmation and say, Pastor, when I was going through the class and learning all these great things about God and everything, it seems that my life was going so smoothly. It's like all of a sudden I was firing on all eight cylinders and things were going so wonderfully. But then after I was confirmed and after I've been in the church for a while, it seemed like everything went to pot. Struggle in my marriage, struggle at work, difficulties with my family, even having difficulties with some of the people within the church. What's going on, God? Or, Pastor, you're right. That's the rest of the story. To confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your Messiah, is saving faith. If that's all it was, What was the purpose of Jesus building upon that confession of Peter and explaining it more fully? His purpose was to prepare Peter and the other 11 for all that their faith would come into contact that would say, you don't believe correctly. This isn't right. How are you going to deal with this? You say you are a Christian. No different than you and me. This is a fulfillment of that little saying that you've heard, a little knowledge is dangerous. It is to describe something such as this. There's a great deal of interest in spiritual matters in this world. Absolutely, without a doubt, there is. What is it those spiritual matters are pertaining unto is a totally different subject matter. So it feels spiritual, it looks spiritual, it sounds spiritual, and even it is the basic confession of the faith. Is that all that there is? Is that all that is necessary? Well, yes, but it is not what your faith is designed to be in that status of simple confession of faith. Or God would have said, okay, great, you believer, I'm taking you home today. That means all these comfort are dying today. And all the kids in May are going to die right after that. Or why don't we go back to their baptism? If God was only getting them to believe and then that's it, that's their whole purpose in this world, then God would take everybody home who believed the moment they believed. Why put them through the drudgery of this world? But the reason He puts you in this world and in your families and in the workplaces that He has appointed you to be is for your faith to rub off and intermingle with those who do not believe or who are unsure about their faith. What does it mean to be yoked with Christ, to confess him as the Messiah? Well, you can only imagine in your mind's eye if you look back to your wedding day. On your wedding day, when you saw the most handsome man in the world and the most beautiful woman adorned sitting or standing before you, holding her hands or his hands, and you said, Yeah, this is it. This is for me. I am for you. This is it. And then all of a sudden, that marriage comes into contact with sin. Well, wait a second. It is sinful because both husband and wife are sinners. There's going to be a contact with another sinner. And that contact with that sinner is in the most intimate of things. Every aspect of your life is being seen by that sinner. And that sinner, because they're a sinner, and because you're a sinner, are quick to point out to the other sinner what their sin is. The old plank in the eye and the speck in the eye thing. It goes on and on and on. What is, then, it doesn't mean to be joined to that person? Two things. One, I get everything that's good about her or him. Thumbs up on that one. We're good to go there. The other side of the story is that I also get everything that drives me insane about that person. When you're married to someone, you get everything. The good and the bad. The blessing and the bane, The things that you cherish and the things that drive you away. That's what it means to be yoked to someone. And of all the relationships in this world that Jesus used to describe his relationship with you, it's described not in a personal relationship with Jesus it's described as a marriage the marriage is him, the groom us, the bride and it's not a a, a 50-50 proposition where you get the good he gets the good from us and we get the good from him that would be a tit for tat it's not that it's we who are ugly we who are unholy we who are the epitome of a prostitute who has gone a-whoring after other gods, including Satan, are being taken and received by the Holy One whose righteousness covers us and adorns us with the most beautiful white garment of virginity. His love and His marriage to you adorns you with that holy white garment of virginity and forgiveness. His goodness, kindness, mercy, And Messiahship, anointed one, anoints you as his chosen. This is my beloved son or daughter. With you, my bride, I am well pleased, he says. But being joined to him means just as he suffered, just as he was rejected just as he even died for his proclamation, the faith. So you being joined to him as his bride, bear the same thing, just like you bear the things of being married to your spouse. Whether you grow old with him or whether they're taken from you at a young age. Whether you've been married before or not. Your Lord will never leave you or abandon you. Your Lord will never turn his back upon you and the ugliness of your and my sin. Though we may reject him, though we may get tired of him, though we may not want to be yoked with him because of what our life has to be thrust into being one of his children, he will never abandon you, change the rules halfway down the pike, Or do anything to you or with you that is not out of his great redeeming love. Because you bear his name. Now remember, he is called the Messiah, the anointed one. You who bear his name, Christ, are one of the anointed one's ones. It's about as good as it's going to get in a literal translation. Christian means one of the anointed ones' ones. You're one of the anointed ones' ones. You're one of those who have been anointed by the anointed one. What if his is yours because you're married to him? His anointing, his setting apart of being set apart from this world and all that it is a part of this world is yours, claiming you and never forsaking you. But that kind of a relationship is fraught with some incongruities. Because your faith will come up against something that says, wait a second, why do I have to go through this? Because you're my child. I don't like doing that because I'm your child. How many times did you say to your mom and dad, why can't you handle me the way so-and-so's parents handle me? They allow her or him to do that or to say that or to go there or what have you. That's part of the suffering. For bearing the name of one of the anointed ones, ones. And it's not fun. That's what I meant by the rest of the story is that, yes, your faith is as simple as that confession. But that confession, Satan wishes to rip it out of what is in you. He wishes to rip this wedding band from your finger, in a spiritual sense, because you're married to Christ. And move you to divorce Christ. Because of all that goes along with being joined to Christ. That's why Peter took Jesus aside after Jesus had said all these things about what he meant to be the Messiah. And he goes, no, 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 Lord, you cannot be rejected. You cannot suffer. And who needs to die? That's crazy. No, that's the things of God, not the things of man. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus rebuffs Peter, rebukes him, Jesus does not say to Peter, Peter, that's of the old Adam. Get behind me. Peter, that is of the flesh. Get behind me. He says that, but he says it in a much more sharper way. That is of Satan. That's not right. Right. Why get so bit out of shape? Ah, that's just seeming to be a minor incongruity. If your faith will carry you through the pains that your sin are going to afflict upon you, if your faith is going to carry you through through the pains of the sins that have been foisted upon you by others, your faith has to stand on sure and certain bedrock, not schmaltzy sand. The things of God are these things. Like they're the only things that have merit, worth and value and will keep you in the one true faith. But being married to Jesus is joyful at many times, challenging at others. But it's a part of being married to Jesus. Just like in an earthly marriage, no one is going to point out your sin more clearly or more fully, whether you want to or not, but your spouse. Jesus who is married to you, points out your and my sin, which is uncomfortable. And I don't like it. It causes me great discomfort. But you know what? It leads me back to repentance and back to the arms of a loving husband who will never reject his bride, which is you. Gentlemen, for all of our times that we have rejected and have not honored, His honoring and not rejecting covers it. You ladies who have been rejected and spurned by a man, this is your opportunity again to be healed just as we men need to be healed. Part of being married to the true bride, to the true groom as his bride. That's good news. Finally, It was Peter himself who wrote in one of his two epistles. The first epistle, or the second epistle you heard Pastor read a portion of. This is from his first epistle. Peter, who knew what it meant to confess Christ and knew also what it meant to hear the cock crow and remember the very thing I said I would never do, I did it. I denied him. (laughs) He knows sin, his own sin. But he also drank deep from the wells of forgiveness, which humbled him greatly. He said in the fourth chapter Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, the anointed one's sufferings the Messiah's sufferings. That you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed in the little snippets of glory like here and in the ultimate revelation of glory upon your entrance into heaven. If you are insulted for the name of the Messiah, you're blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and the Spirit of God rests upon you as one of the anointed ones, ones. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or meddler. That's getting the just punishment for the wrong deed. That's normal. He's talking about suffering in this life because you are doing the right thing. You're living out the faith. You are proclaiming Christ's forgiveness. If anyone suffers as one of the anointed ones, ones. As a Christian. Let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. One of the anointed ones, ones the name of Christ. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It is your soul that matters. Not your pride, not your reputation, not your body, but your soul. That is all we have is to entrust ourselves into such a loving creator who has wed himself and bound himself to us, who will never refuse us nor deny us nor walk away from us and abandon us, but cling unto us and keep us as his child. In the name of the Anointed One, the Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds on Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.